Hello everybody, this is a Discord conversation. I'm Job and my guest today is Pastor Rob Tornstra, as it's properly pronounced. Rob, <laughs> good evening. <laughs> what brings you to the Discord? Oh. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, you know, I'm I'm new to the Discord, and so I in some ways I feel very much like I'm still finding my way around, but um I joined because uh, Paul Vanderclay um kind of invited me and introduced me in um and uh, the, the reason that i was uh, kind of attracted to this is because i really enjoy having thoughtful conversations with with people about um matters of faith spirituality religion um apologetics and philosophy and um, and so this seemed, as, as I got a little bit introduced to it, that it seemed like this is a place where that happens. And so, um, so yeah, I, I thought I would, uh, would join in. And, uh, and I've, I don't get on as much as I'd like, but I really do enjoy the, the conversations with the, with the people here because, uh, for, from what I can tell, they're always very um, civil, um, but, but very thought-provoking too. And so, yeah, so I enjoy it. Yeah, a, a nice consequence seems to be of of this basically forming out of Jordan Peterson interested people combined with uh, Paul Venneclay's audience, which is already pretty much overlapping in that regard. We seem to have kind of the mm -hmm. attitude that we find in the, the comment section to have been reproduced on right. the server. Yeah, no, that's that's just it. Um, you know, and it's a rare thing these days because so often when you, I mean, you go on Facebook or you go on Twitter or you go in just about any other place online and, you know, any kind of conversation, whether it be on politics or religion or even just sort of everyday issues, the, the comments and the questions always seem to go very quickly into not only disagreeing, but very, very hostile disagreeing it's almost like we you know we ha we can't stand it unless our, if our opinion is is challenged and so but i think i think people are looking for better i think there there's a good number of people who who want to have these conversations because they are they are important they are important conversations but they want to have them in such a way that it's it's thoughtful and it's um um respectful and civil so yeah and and like you said i think paul paul vanderclay's uh, you know his video. Paul Paul models that very well. I think that that's what helps. I mean, Paul Paul is able to agree without being uh, or disagree without being disagreeable, as they say. So, mm. yeah, yeah. Paul is very good to kind of just. I don't know he he starts something and then he he supports it very efficiently, kind of like a cell phone stand almost. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's very good at just having very open conversations with all sorts of people. I mean, yeah. yeah. Look, looking at the the couple of things I've. Oh, uh, you know, I, I so. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say. I mean, I, I, I have you know. So I think back a little while. This was probably a couple of years ago when when I was really I only really knew Paul then through through Facebook, um, and bec you know because we're part of the same. Christian church denomination, mm -hmm. uh, but he would he what what struck me about him and what I found interesting was he would post these reflections on uh, just written Facebook posts about a person that um, it was a homeless person that that kind of frequented his church and you know what what I learned from Paul watching him kind of almost sometimes every day describing his interactions with this person was how to be very I mean he was very compassionate but he. He set pretty clear boundaries, but he did it in that relational context. And um, you know, my my I learned a lot from that, anyways. And and you know, ministry brings you into contact with a with a yeah uh, an interesting variety of people. And sometimes in the uh, in the desire to be right or in the desire to promote what you know Christians and pastors think is the the right point of view, we become very uh, you know. Um, uh, antagonistic or unkind towards others, and Paul has always managed to um, 
to, to model something different. And I, you know, so I, anyways, and, and so my interactions with Paul have kind of grown up a little bit over the years and um, yeah. So anyways, that's a long answer to your question. What brings you to discord is, uh, <laughs> is, is this um, desire to have these conversations about things that are, yeah. Is it, does it make sense to believe? And if so, why? And, um, and if not, why not? What are the challenges to Christianity and to faith? So, Yeah. Uh, now, now I'm starting to think about what you basically just said. Does it make sense to believe? And if so, why? That is a good question. I don't have an answer oh. yet. But uh, <laughs> so, what, well, you know, and, and let me let go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I was going to ask uh, have you found in your congregation uh, s similar. Um, desires for for conversation like this depends on who I'm talking to, right? So so my my conversation or uh, my my congregation is, um, I mean we're about maybe 150 to 200 people, um, and and then we will have some members who, um. Uh, and I, I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to sound in any way condescending. That's not at all what I mean. But but they're very content with the faith that um, some might look at it and say, well, that's that's fairly simple. It's you know they they are committed to Jesus Christ, they love the Lord, and um, and and that's it. And that's you know. Then there are others who really and you know they they want to ask these hard questions. There are others who want to. Um, pull apart the reason behind faith and dialogue it and discuss it and even challenge it. And then there might even be a third group that almost feels that asking those questions is somehow um, not what good Christian people do, if that, if that makes sense, because, because to ask these questions is to somehow have doubt. And, mm. and I don't look at it that way. I, I right. I think, I think, if if the Christian faith can't stand up to good scrutiny, then uh, we have reason to be very concerned. So uh, I think there's every reason in the world to ask these questions and to wrestle with them. But again, not every you know for some people that's just not their their cup of tea. They're very they're they're happy to have a a faith that is you know who's committed to Jesus and and that's that's about enough and 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 they're content with that. So. And is there like a, a discussion group in your church or like a Bible study group, like, like the one Paul runs? Uh, no, not yet. Um, we've tried a number of times to get something like that off the ground in, in different settings. It's, it's a little difficult. Some of it is just a logistical thing. We've got, you know, we're, we're a church with members that uh, are fairly spread out and people are busy during the week. And so it can be a little bit harder, but that said, um, We've well, and I should add too. We've we've had some conversations um, about trying to start a like what Paul Vanderclay runs. Um, we just haven't got it off the ground yet. However, um, as a part of our Sunday um, activities, we have you know like Sunday school or adult education classes, and though the the two classes that we have currently are. Um, you know they they promote those kinds of conversations so it's not really it's it's more it's a little bit like what what um what paul runs but it, there's some differences too um but but anyways in in you know we do try to promote and ask those questions for those who are interested hmm. yeah the the more i i get to see some parts of being a pastor by talking a lot to my own pastor, the more I see how complex it all is and all the things you have to be mindful of and all the, the <laughs> nooks and crannies and little obstacles you need to navigate. Yeah, well, that's that's absolutely true. Um, you know, I this was a few years ago. I was getting my hair cut and, um, you know, you have to make small talk with the barber and, you know, so she's away cutting my hair, and she asks, "Well, what do you do?" I says, "Oh, I'm a pastor." And she says, "Oh, you do that full time?" I says, "Yeah." She says, "You mean you, you don't just work on Sundays?" That I have to say, "No, it's it's a lot more than just that. It's uh, you know, some some days you're you're wearing the hat of, you know, you're 
I don't know, uh, leading a Bible study or a worship service. And then other days you're visiting someone in the hospital because they've got terminal cancer. And then mm. the other day you're, you know, you're leading a, a you have to be the, the chair of a, of the elder board meeting and, and you have to learn how to sort of navigate the, the leadership of the church. So, um, so yeah, you wear a lot of hats and, um, most of the time it's it's a lot of fun um, most of the time <laughs> was it um was was it uh let's see why, why did you why did you become a pastor I, I i once heard it said that somebody says well i thought it was uh it was a lot of uh a strong vacation but he misread <laughs> yeah no that's a really good question um because I, you know, I look, I look back, I, I, there was a long, a long time ago when I was probably in early high school. Well, maybe, maybe late element. Um, yeah. Ninth, 10th grade, somewhere in there. And I really wanted to become a lawyer mm. um, because, you know, my mom would always tell me, she says, you like to argue way too much. So I thought, well, I can maybe make a career of that. And <laughs> so I, I had my, my heart and mind set on going to law school. Um, and then I, I, I went, um, well, I'll make a little bit of a shorter story than a longer one, but I went on a, it was sort of a, a summer mission project that that our church hosted. And, and what this really was, was you, you we go and we went to, a, um, we visited a church in Southern California. So I was in, I, I grew up in Canada and I went on this three week trip down to Southern California and in the process of that, I got to talking um, to a pastor there who was really involved in outreach and and was a he ended up being a pretty good role model to me and I began to then wonder a little bit what it would be like to be a pastor mm. and um, because I because I liked what I was seeing him doing I thought you know I I I could see myself maybe doing that and then um and then I so in in conversation with him over you know on that trip but then afterwards we corresponded by you know mail and phone calls and whatnot I started to to really sense that yeah I, I want to go into the ministry but the problem was I didn't want to do Greek and I didn't want to do Hebrew which are often those are requirements those are things you have to study in order to become a a, a pastor and I I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to do it and so I thought well then I can be into I can go to like youth ministry um and okay so I I I did a little bit of that, but then I thought, you know, I just, as much as I love young people, um, I don't know that I, I could do that, you know, as a career. I don't know that I, I started to sense, well, maybe that's, that's not quite it. And, and then I began to realize I was being more drawn into the, the traditional role of, of pastor, which, you know, preaching and, and visitation and such. And um, because that's, that's where I think I was most interested. I, I, I enjoyed studying the Bible. Um, I, 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 I was for that age. I was fairly good at it. I mean, in terms of my peers and that. Um, and so I, I thought, well, you know, if maybe that's what what God would would want me to do. And um, and so I thought, well, I guess I'll have to just tough it out and somehow manage to get through the Greek and the Hebrew, which <laughs> um, which I did. Um, and I did so. <laughs> I did. I'm not saying I was any good at it, but I I managed to get through it. Over and then um, so I had four years of college and then I did another four years in uh, in graduate school um, to, to do the training for for being a pastor and and you know along the way it's sort of one of those things that you have to ask yourself is this really so now that you, now that you're beginning to get more and more into it is this something you really want to do and um, and and do other people can other people see that this is a good fit for you and because you know we we know I know people, and maybe you've known people as well. That you know, they they really are convinced themselves that you know they're going to be really good at a particular career. But you know, other people just look at it and say, "No, that's you know, you don't have what it takes." Um, and so, long story short, um, I you know, I I did hear from a lot of people that this was something they could see me doing, and and they were affirming the the skills that I had and and the abilities and and such and so um so that just kind of can kind of help push me further down down the the road to becoming a pastor um and i've been doing it now uh, a little over 13 years um i started in 2006 and i've been going um 
at the same same church ever since that time. So when people said, "Yeah, Rob, you look like uh, like your pastor material," did you yourself have that confidence? Um. Yeah, that's a good question. I I I think <laughs> so. Here's here's the irony of it. I think back then I I I did. Um, but you know now I look back and I think you know I who was I to think that I could do this work when I was only in you know I was in high school and then into early college and I think I think I way overestimated my skills and abilities back then. Mm. Um, and, and, and I think that's just, that comes with the territory because, you know, as you get more and more into something and you you know, you, 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 you realize the, the, how challenging it really can be. Um, you know, I look back, as I said, I've been doing this in, in the same church for 13 years and I, I'm embarrassed to admit that when I first started here, I, I thought that, you know, I've got this all together and yeah, of course I can do this and I can, um, I started right away in the role of, of what we might call a senior pastor. I, I don't particularly like the title senior pastor, but but in any case, uh, that you know, I was I was the sole pastor of a church of you know 150 to 200 people, and I didn't even bat an eye at that. I thought, well, you know, of course I can do that. That's that's not a big deal. And now I look back and think, what in the world? I mean, here's this, you know, I'm I'm 26 years old. Uh, I've just graduated and I'm taking on a, a pretty sizable responsibility. And, and some part of that to me sounds now like that's, that's crazy <laughs> to put, you know, because you, because we don't do that in a lot of other um, places. I mean, you don't, you know, you don't graduate from business school and then you take, you don't take on right away the, the role of, you know, being the, the senior manager of a, you know, district office or something, you sort of have to work your way into it. And, um, you know, our, our system isn't really set up for that. And um, so, you know, anyways, it, it sort of, I look back on it now and I think, wow, I, I, uh, I way overestimated my abilities. And, you know, now with 13 years experience, I think I know a little bit what I'm doing, but, but even so, I sometimes wonder that too, you know, <laughs> so. <laughs> it, it, it must have been interesting, though, when you first started, because does it does it work this way in the U.S. that you get? Um, I don't know the English word for this. Uh, in in Dutch, I think we call it beroepen, which means that you are called to be to go become a pastor at a church. So a church will reach out to you, like will you come preach with yeah, us? Yeah, it's the same in the U.S. Yep. Yeah, that. Well, it's it's. It's the same in our in in the the denomination that I'm a part of, right? So, um, my my kids for a while went to a Lutheran school. Well, they still do, but two of them do. But anyways, um, and the Lutheran system is is set up differently, and the Reform system is set up differently, and you know. So, anyways, in the Christian Reformed Church, of which which I'm a part of, um, when you graduate seminary, there's there's kind of, it's it's sort of interesting because they have a a a, a denominational um, office, so it's kind of like a, at our headquarters, you might say, and they almost play matchmaker for pastors and churches. And so, what they try to do is work with all of the churches that are in need of a pastor, and they try to find out what kind of churches, you know, what what kind of churches they are, what their strengths are and weaknesses, and so on. And then they do the same thing for pastors, and then they try to match them up. They try to match the pastors with churches where they think it would be a good fit. Um, but at the same time, uh, graduating students are free to contact any church that they would like. And so our churches, churches are free to, you know, contact students that they would like. And, and there are some rules around how that all goes, but um, but in, in a nutshell, that's how it works. And so. Uh, when I when I was nearing graduation, I was in conversation with um, with four different churches, and then uh, four, I think it was four, anyways, and three of them ended up sending me a letter of call, which is a, which is officially a job offer, and um, and of the three, we kind of had it narrowed down to two. Um, and one was on the East Coast and one was on the West Coast. And that, you know, then we have to decide which one is going to be the best fit for us and for our family and so on and so forth. 
And so that's that's a that's a tough process because um, yeah, it involves a lot of prayer and a lot of talking. My wife and I were talking back and forth and talking maybe to people that you trust who can give you some advice and um, and then you just have to make a decision and run with it, mm. which is what we did. I'm I'm sure you imagine. Uh, sorry, not imagine. I'm, I'm sure you uh, recall your first sermon. <laughs> I do. Um, yeah, as, as a matter of fact, I do. I I started preaching, which which again maybe reveals a little bit of my uh, of my own youthful ignorance. Um, I started my first sermon was out of Genesis chapter one, uh, which is the story in in the Bible. It's the story of creation. And for many people, that passage is such a challenging one because it raises the question of, you know, did God create the world in six days or was it over six you know, million or billion years? And I sort of just waded right into that and, and jumped into it and got going um, <laughs> without even thinking through all the, the challenges that go with that. But, uh, but I, started, I started with that. I started at the very beginning. I figured that was as good a place to start as any. So let's get this out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, well and then and then I should add too, because so I, I preached I basically start I preached through some of the, the big themes of the Bible though, so kind of hitting some of the main points. But then I took the first when I was when I was officially ordained, and that's a that's kind of a, a, a worship service on a Sunday where that's when you officially become reverent in in our case so uh, there's there's sort of a, a you might call it a ceremony that goes along with that it's not you know it's not magic or anything like that but it it's it's your ordination service and um and then the so there was that and then the following sunday i preached my first sermon as an ordained minister and i preached that from the book of romans which was uh in the new testament and it's where the apostle paul uh what he says is i am not ashamed of the gospel and um, and I wanted that to be a theme for, you know, the ministry that I've been involved with that, hey, I, I, I believe this to be true. I don't understand every part of it or every aspect of it, but I believe that it is the gospel. And so, so that was my first sermon as an ordained minister. But, uh, but then it was back to Genesis and all the, the, the other the stuff that goes along with that. Well, clearly it was well received because they let you stay. So. <laughs> yeah, either that or they can't get rid of me. I don't know. <laughs> Firmly entrenched. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I I should say. I mean, by by because of if you know members of my church ever get around to hearing this, then uh, then they are gonna wonder. They have been a tremendously supportive and encouraging church. They um they have loved our family very very well, and um, have been just uh, incredibly supportive and incredibly encouraging. So. Um, you know, it's not always been easy. Ministry brings, um, you know, challenges that you just never think that you will have to deal with. Um, you know, it's stuff that, you know, people are capable of stuff that, yeah, it, it, you, it's hard to imagine. And then a pastor gets involved in that and wants to care for the people, but he also has to be there to call them to do the right thing. And so sometimes sorting that all out is really difficult, but um but it's been that said. It's been a it's been a wonderful church. Sunny Slope has been a very very uh, very very good church for me and, and to me. So yeah, and I can I can certainly imagine it's not always easy, and that it comes with hardships and difficulties, and because it's people, and yep. well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a church. To yeah, I mean. With. That's right. And, and, you know, I, I, again, I, I've been leading a study through uh, one of the New Testament books, which is uh, the book uh, to the Corinthian church. And um, it always strikes me how messed up those people really were. Um, oh, yeah. You know, from, from, <laughs> you know, you've got one guy who's having some incestuous relationship with, I think, his mother-in-law, and you've got, you know, one believer, they're taking each other to court on, you know, worshiping in church on Sunday and then suing each other on Monday. And, you know, so it's it's a mess. And, and but but that's the whole point of, of what, you know, what the gospel is about, what, what church is about is it's not 
you know, how to be on your best behavior for God. It's about what does God do with messed up people? What does he do with people who can't get their lives really together and who, you know, who know that they're kind of a mess and they need, you know, they need God's help. And so, um, so yeah, then, it, it, you know, being a pastor is stepping into the middle of that and, and dealing with people and they're, you know, they're little, sometimes it's just their petty, you know, personality things. And other times it's major uh, crises that are, set off by someone doing something just absolutely stupid and you know, so and on it goes but then it's okay if how, how does god deal with these people and then how does that shape how i as a pastor uh have to deal with these people and how do i deal with my own self because i i'm not immune from it either you know i'm called to a life of integrity and i'm called to be you know a person of character but that doesn't mean i'm perfect and it doesn't mean i'm immune to temptation either so i have to deal with my own mess all along the way well you forgot rob that you also need to be able to speak greek and hebrew <laughs> yeah maybe i just wanted to forget yeah <laughs> but no i mean thinking of, of corinthians it's you know like pretty quickly they start like having basically the service for the rich people who you know bring their own food yeah. and and, oh yeah, and then there's the poor people. Yeah, they'll get some oh, scraps. Right, right, right. I, I can just imagine Paul yeah, barging yeah. in there, going like, "What part of body of Christ do you people not understand?" <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. You know, and it's because that you, you said it really well because you sort of start to picture what is a what does a potluck look like in the Corinthian church? I mean, we have potlucks at our church from time to time, and you know, so in that way it gives you the sense that this the setting is. In, in a lot of ways, it's very different from our own, but in so many other ways, it's it's just the same human nature played out over and over again. And you're right, you know, Paul coming in and just, you know, smacking his hand to his forehead and saying, "What is the matter with you people?" Um, so, <laughs> you're you're right about that. Yeah, I, I was just reading um, this book called uh, "Insanity of God," and it's about uh, I don't know hmm. if you've read it. I haven't read it, no, but I saw you mention it um, on, on the server yesterday or maybe today. Yeah, uh, Shelley recommended it to me, and it's a, excuse me, about uh, missionary work um, during the Somali Civil War in the 90s. Mm. And at some point, the, the author goes to, he, he leaves Somalia, Somalia and he goes to Russia to talk to the persecuted pastors there. And one of the pastors tells a story of, he would, uh, with his family, he, they would read the Bible stories and they would sing the hymns. And at some point, their neighbors find out and they're like, oh, can we join you in the stories and the hymns? And the guy says, yeah, sure. So the neighbors come and more people here. And at some point, there are 75 people doing that. And so, of course, wow. the, author the authorities find out. Wow. And so they barge down the door saying, yeah, what are you doing here? You've uh, you have established an illegal church, and the mm. the man says, "How can you say that? All we do is come together, read the Bible, sing hymns, and sometimes give money to poor people. You can't call it a church." And, <laughs> and the author says, "I just had to stop myself from laughing because it is so essential. It that's exactly it." Yeah, 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 yeah. And just yeah, uh, that's right. That's exactly right. Uh, I'll have to put that that book on my list. My my book list seems never ending, but I'm always looking for new new books to put on it. So I'll put the Insanity of God. That, that sounds like a great read. Yeah, it, it is really good. Uh, I think they made a movie out of it, as far as I can tell. But the book's really good as usual. Um, I think it's about two hundred fifty pages. If you put your mind to it, you could probably okay. read it in a couple of days. Yeah, the entire yeah. book is just. Oh, that's just, good. I'll, I'll... Yeah, it 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 very much embodies that whole great commission spirit and basically God telling Abraham to go, and Abraham went and did what he needed to do, not without his doubts and not without hardship, but he did it. That's yeah, that's right, and it's that again. That is. That is sort of the the human story is is not with us. It's you know following and living in faith is not a you have everything figured out all the time and you, or you never 
waver or question it you know it is there is uncertainty along the way and and you know and and doubts even and challenges to that and yet you know and that's why i guess it makes it a good title right the insanity of god it sometimes seems to our minds it seems uh, you know completely nonsensical even or crazy we wouldn't do it that way and yet that's how god often works yeah i mean i was just reading it today and it's just all these these like it's absolute hell in somalia and just the most yeah. awful things are happening and and then at some point the united nations get involved and they start doing food droppings and one thing that happens is the local people find out that there will be a food dropping in some field somewhere and well they try to like these are big packages being dropped from these cargo planes so of course people get hurt and people get killed being crushed by the cargo that comes down because they went to stand in that field right and and i'm reading that passage and I'm just this is this is the problem of evil like basically even if god wanted to fix it where do you start because it's too complex and you can't fix mm-hmm. it humans can't fix it that's for sure not not just by snapping our fingers yep. And but then as God, where do you start? Uh, yeah, that, yeah that's, that's right. And 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 and, and it, right. So that I could touch. The, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I want to hear what you finish your thought. Well, then it's almost like, yeah. And then I okay. God seems to be there when you read a book like A Grief Observed, but He also seems to be there when you read about the absolute horrific things in in Somalia and you say well but but that seems to be exactly where he's not but the fact that there are people who are helping shows that there's something going on I don't know I mean it's, it's difficult to put to put the right words in I mean it's like Thomas Aquinas is saying People are miserable, therefore God exists because we long to experience him. <laughs> and Yeah. Well, Aquinas didn't say it. That's how Peter Kraft says that Aquinas says it. But <laughs> so we, we were having a discussion earlier in the Discord about experience and seeing God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I mean I, I can't. Uh, I, you know, I can't. here's here's the here's here's what I've observed because, um, you know, as I as I said a, a little bit ago, as as a pastor, you you often walk with people through some of their darkest experiences through through the moments that, um, that you think should if if there's ever an experience that should destroy a person's faith you know this could be it i'm thinking of of two particular situations in my own church that happened within about three months of each other earlier this year so and and these are of the worst kind i I won't disclose the details but um very very tragic and when i visit the people in you know the families in these experiences and the people going through them it's sort of like i there's a part of me that expects to hear um you know i i just can't believe in god anymore and um in one sense i could say well yeah i could cut you know i could understand why you would come to that conclusion but it strikes me that so often it's even into it's in these worst of situations that you find i mean you find i don't want to downplay the pain because you find that too right people talk about you know how awful this is and they do talk about the questions that they wrestle with and but then they also do seem to experience um the the peace of god or you know and and different people will describe it in different ways whether it's just a sense of of calm in the face of real uncertainty or whether it's a a sense of just um uh yeah inner inner peace we might call it or um you know just knowing that they're being cared for 
it's almost like in, in some of these cases, the faith grows stronger. And that is, in one way, that's a really surprising thing because you'd expect it to be the opposite. Now, I don't, I don't always know how to make sense of that. And I'm sure that's not always the case, right? I'm sure there are people that, you know, when they face a hardship or a tragedy, um, you know, that's that becomes the catalyst for walking away from it all, right? So, okay, I, and I, I know that happens too, but I've just also noticed a lot of experiences where it should be that way, but it's not. It's the opposite. It's people that actually their strength and, and their, their trust in God is actually strengthened through it all. So anyway, just, you know, I've just observed that. Yeah, it, it it also, I mean, it makes sense to me that it also matters who's around you. For instance, I was having a book reading recently with uh, uh, Tripp and Sarah. We do a book reading of A Grief Observed on the Randos channel. And Sarah said this beautiful thing about that their church would make food for people who needed it, for instance or people who had just become parents, or somebody who was sick, or somebody who needed food. And to me, that was just absolutely beautiful that that was done. And I'm thinking if there's tragedy around you, but there are also people around you, yeah, of course it's always... It's well, that, yeah, that, right. Makes a big difference. It makes a big difference, um, and because because one of the things that that the church often talks about, and you were kind of getting at this earlier, is is the idea of what it means to be a body, right? The church is is meant to be a connected group of people, and sometimes we we talk we say things like, okay, well, you know, the family that came and brought me dinner when I was you know out of the hospital or whatever you know they were the hands and feet of Christ and 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 so there's this idea that believers are meant to be demonstrating in very real tangible hands-on kinds of ways exactly how Christ would be behaving if if he were present among us so you're i think you said it really well when you say you you need to be surrounded by you know, by the people that you're surrounded with makes a big difference because it really does. You're, you're, you're right about that. Yeah. I, I think that's why churches are still so fundamental and, and necessary. In the, I don't know where else this really is. Like there's, there's clubs and there's, there's, things like Sunday Sunday assemblies like and there's stuff like chess club and and let's say sports clubs but they don't deal with it's not that type of community and I I'm trying to think of what other type of community is there that approaches what a church is besides Sunday assembly you know, yeah. So, so I don't know if if this if if you have this in Holland, um, but it's been kind of a quirky thing, kind of a, a strange thing that has been happening a little bit here in the United States, and that's uh, atheist churches, which sounds like you know a complete oxymoron, but it to me it's a so so these are people who don't believe in in God. They don't believe in religion. Um, they don't believe in, in Christ or, you know, the Bible or any of those kind of what, what we would probably consider to be key tenets of um, the Christian faith. But they they still want that sense of connectedness and community. And so they get together every Sunday and they sing songs together and they try to encourage each other and they try to be there for each other. And that has always struck me as just odd because it seems a lot like you, you know, it seems like wanting to have your cake and eat it too. If, if you know, if you, if you get the, the expression, you, you want to have the benefits of what church is meant to be, 
and yet you reject all of the things that make a church what it is. So from from my vantage point, it's it's really just a, a really interesting observation. It, I, I'm not even necessarily saying that as a way of criticizing it or condemning it. I'm just making the observation that we could try to do away with all of the, the things and, and the trappings of religion, and yet we're still left needing what Christianity historically has um, has provided. And it's, you know, so it, it's, it's a fascinating observation because you're right. There are not too many other instances in public life where people get together, especially people from that, this, such a diverse set of backgrounds, right? In my church on, on Sunday, we are not super diverse, but, you know, we've got a few people from the Philippines. We've got a person from Romania, from South Africa, and, and then a lot of Dutch people too. So, um, and, and a lot of, you know, people, you know, American and other kinds of things. But, but you also, if you dig a little deeper, you'll find politically liberal and politically conservative. You'll find, um, I mean, well, male and female, you'll find young and old, you'll find um, sort of blue collar workers and then professionals. And where else do you get that number of people all together who are not just casual acquaintances, but who share what is supposed to be a very deep um, bond with one another? And so the, the church is, is really unusual in that way. Exactly. And, and I mean, that's how it started. That's, that's how it was transformative. Uh, like, like Paul says, you know, like, okay, you can have a master and a slave here. That doesn't matter because you're equal in Christ, uh, men and women equal in Christ. That was absolutely radical. Uh, but to Paul, it just seems to be the, the most normal thing in the world. Like, of course, that is the case. Jew and Gentile doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. And nowadays we, we herald that as this, this like great thing that we sort of take for granted. But back then it must have been yeah. just like, who are these people? We can't even give them a proper name because right. there's all sorts of folks in there. So yeah. um, a while ago I was having dinner with my younger brother and his girlfriend. And I was sort of trying to explain the things I'm working through. And so uh, his girlfriend says, oh, why don't you try a, a Sunday assembly? Because my younger brother's just wondering why is all the brothers getting into religion? So like, why don't you try a Sunday assembly instead? Because I was saying how much I liked going to church. Because, no, you can just go to Sunday assembly, you know, do away with that silly metaphysic. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, I, I could, I could. And But what I like about church is that it's 10 minutes from my home, not even. There are people near me. Huh? I, I know these people. I meet them in the street. And again, there's there's a varied amount of all sorts of folks there. And I think that Sunday assembly, by its very nature, excuse me, might select for a certain, a certain type of audience and a certain mm -hmm. type of subjects. And... I've also, I'm sure you've read that really good article in the Atlantic about Sunday assemblies. Uh, I'm not sure that I have. Oh, well, it's really good. And one thing that struck me is, uh, you can find it on, on Google if you search for like uh, the Atlantic and then Sunday assembly or atheist churches. It was pretty recent. But what, one problem was that they couldn't decide what to uh, have, like bands or philosophy or railing against religion as subjects and and most of the people really didn't like the idea of a collection plate so <laughs> then you'd have a bunch of very motivated well-intended people trying to keep this thing going but then they, they just couldn't carry it far enough because the congregation couldn't agree on a a grand narrative basically which christianity doesn't have a problem with that grand narrative is right smack dab in your face the moment you step in that's everywhere. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. I think I did see that article. Now that you say it a little more, I think I, I think I did um, read that one. But yeah, that's that's just it. That's that's a strange thing. And and these atheist churches, that's what, you know, that that's almost becomes their undoing because okay, yeah, you can get together and you can sing some songs and you can, you know, you you could talk about what's going on in each other's lives for a little bit. But ultimately, if there's no bigger story, um. 
then what is it that's really holding the group together? Mm. And, you know, at least ideally, Christianity is, is supposed to be that. Now, that's where you, you also have to look at, okay, what is the ideal? And then what is the reality? And how do those two things sometimes differ? But, but at least in theory, you're exactly right. That grand narrative is supposed to be front and center. And that's mm. what holds the, uh, an otherwise very, almost impossibly diverse group of people together yeah um rob we got about 15 minutes left is there anything in particular you want to talk about uh yeah no i i i um you catch me off guard i should have come better prepared for this um yeah, um, the, the the church topic is is, a, is you know I mean it's in some it's fascinating to me um, because it's you know because of what we kind of what we've just been saying is how diverse the church uh, really is and how it um, how it does attract people from from so many different backgrounds in that um, yeah I I. Nail down any one particular thing where we'd want to go that uh, that we haven't gone yet, uh, unless you have uh, you have suggestions or what, thoughts of where we should go. What do you think about these these? Uh, it's something I've been working on with my pastor. This this outer court ministry idea of trying to reach people. Like we're going to try to do this podcast, and it might happen. It might not, depending yeah. on what the church council says. Uh, no, I, you know, the, I, I, I am a hundred and ten percent behind the, that because, I mean, it, it. So, one of one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is uh, it's in the Book of Acts, and it tells about Paul, and he goes into the city of Athens, and while he's there, you know, he walks through the marketplace which um, is not so much the place where you buy and sell your meat and vegetables and so on. It's, it's where you go to discuss ideas. So I, I've always kind of compared it to like what Facebook might've been if Facebook had been, you know, 2000 years ago. And, and what is Paul doing? He's not, I mean, he's not lashing out and condemning and criticizing just outright and telling these people how terrible they really are. He's actually engaging them. And he's, you know, he gets the chance to go up onto um, to Mars Hill and he gets the chance to preach. And when he does, he's he knows he's preaching to a non-Jewish audience. And so he he starts quoting from the ancient poets, from Greek poets. And he does that a number of times in other places in the New Testament as well. So Paul knows how to engage his his. And, and I think that's what you're getting at when you talk about an outer court ministry it's it's engaging the broader audience where they are and um and it's it's um i i think I, I get excited about that because you know in my experience and i say this from my own personal experience and from from just being a part of the church that i'm at is there is a tendency to be drawn back into our bubble like we stick with the people that we're most familiar with. We get anxious around people who think differently, who live differently, who, you know, are, you know, you can name any number of, of you know, things that, you know, sins that, that a person might be, you know, living in. And we, there, there's a tendency that Christians have to want to avoid that and then just cluster together with people like them. And I think that's a shame. I think it's it's exciting to have conversations with people who think and who who have a different worldview from your own, and to learn how to engage that in a way that asks the tough questions, but um, but does it in a way that is you know charitable and, and respectful and so on. Um, and and there's you know there's a lot of different ways you could do it. I mean, YouTube is is one of them. Obviously, you know, Paul Vanderclay is. Um, kind of really in some ways pioneered that at least in 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 these circles um you know online facebook or uh yeah facebook but discord um others as well i think that's that's um that's where it's at and and um you know i'm i'm 
I'm teaching a Sunday school class now. That's like a you know our Sunday morning adult education thing, and I'm teaching it on faith and sexuality. And so we're looking a little bit at the LGBTQ questions. We're looking at um, biblical design for sexuality. And one of the things that I've been doing, and I've gotten a little pushback on it, is I've been trying. I, I've I've kind of been saying that we have to be able to understand the worldview of people outside of the church. We have to get really good at, at getting inside of their minds if if we're going to be able to engage that. And and I, you know, there, there were some in the class that have, have just been concerned about that, I guess, or, you know, not sure that Christians should be doing that. And I think we have to. Um, we have to understand how the world thinks, how the world answers these big questions of meaning and purpose and and we do that because from there we're able to go and um present an alternative if if that makes sense and so yeah i i think these are excellent things to be doing yeah i mean you can't really have a dialogue unless you're willing to hear the other one's point and you're not going to convince each other if uh, if even that way uh andrea says that they don't answer the question and that's why we have a crisis to begin with. Is that is that right, Andreas? Do you understand you correctly? Okay. I, I'd be curious to to know the they who who doesn't answer the question. Um, I'm curious. Andreas, go ahead that. and unmute. You can unmute and speak if you like. Oh, he doesn't have a microphone. Well, he's typing. Oh, okay. Uh, well, he, you know, so so, I I, there's different ways to take that. I, I suspect he he might mean that. Um, that Christians maybe don't answer some of these questions very well, or they just kind of revert back to, well, you just need to believe, you just need to have faith without mm. wrestling on a deeper level. Um, maybe I'm misunderstanding, but but that that would be I, I I could probably affirm that I I you know again not every Christian and but at least for the last I mean uh, maybe in the in the 90s 1990s or maybe early 2000s. Christianity was um, it, it was more presented as a as a feelings oriented faith and anti intellectual. Um, in other words, don't ask too many hard questions because that might mean your faith isn't strong enough. And unfortunately, that leaves a lot of people very very unsatisfied. Mm -hmm. Meaning. If you again, what I said earlier, if you don't have a faith that can stand up to the tough questions, um, you have reason to question your your faith. And so, you know, now maybe he means something altogether different. I'm not sure, but um, but that if if that's what he's getting at, then I think he's 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 onto something. Yeah, I, I remember having when I was younger. I was with a coworker driving to work, and they were from. Uh, a fairly conservative tradition and I don't know what we're exactly we're talking about but something about God and I said she said at some point well yeah but it's not for us to have questions about that and I remember just thinking <laughs> like how, how can you possibly this yeah yeah and looking back I understand where she was coming from because I've heard that sentiment before but then, you know, you read the old church fathers and that's basically all they did. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and not only that, but, um, you know, historically Christianity has said that to be made in the image of God includes having a rational and curious mind to ask the tough questions. And so I, I would I would argue that asking uh, you know, asking these big questions and wrestling with them is not a sign of a weak faith, but it's a sign of being made in the image of God and and wondering. Now, there's a right way and a wrong way to do that, right? We can ask our questions from a from a posture of of 
you know, pride and superiority. Like, you know, if I don't understand it, it must not be true. Or we can ask the questions with humility that says, you know, I, I'm wondering about this. And I want to understand. And, and um, I think obviously the second is, is better. Um, it's the better approach. And now, of course, Andreas comes back and he looks like he says that, uh, looks like I was wrong. I read him wrong. He says, the culture doesn't offer an answer to the question of meaning, except empty ideology. So I guess I got him wrong. Uh, okay, yeah, because the culture doesn't offer that narrative apart from nationalism, I, I would say. Which, which I, is... I, yeah. Right. I, I would say the culture does offer answers, but they're answers that are ultimately unsatisfying, right? Because mm. every um, every culture tells a story and tries to make and, and in that and by, by telling a story, I mean they're trying to give shape to the big questions of life. Why are we here? Where do we get? Where, where are we going? Um, what what is right and wrong? All those kinds of big worldview questions, and the world does offer an answer to those. And the culture, you know, culture is about shaping our our response to those to those questions. Um, but he's right in the sense that it does become empty because if the world says, you know, uh, one of the big things now is you only live once, so you know, seize the moment, seize the opportunity, and it becomes in, in, inherently about just living for yourself and living for it with with almost a sense of desperation and you know consume as much pleasure as you can etc 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 and okay so if that's your worldview if that's what's giving shape to how you live then um at the end of the day that that becomes deeply unsatisfying because you know, you never, you know, yeah, you, you get a thrill one day, but then the next day you have to go back and you need something bigger. And, and then why does that never satisfy you? Um, and so, and then there are other answers as well. And, and some of that is shaped by which culture you're, you're coming from, um, whether it's America or whether it's, you know, Eastern Europe or Western Europe or Asia or, you know, Africa, etc. Um, there's always going to be different answers to those. And, um, and I, I would submit to you that those questions, the answers end up becoming unsatisfying in, in the long run. Mm. Yeah. And, and we see that manifest in, 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 in society nowadays. And you would almost think that people would come back to church, but they don't. And uh, I had a point and it's gone. I died. Um, because you, you would think if if you're fundamentally thinking that there's no point really that there's just materialist society you would think you would start to look for some sort of metaphysic and now perhaps people would say well that's what we see as the new religions that that are starting to form but you don't see people say well and therefore we might as well take on the christian ethic because well even if there's no god it's an ethic worth respecting and, and carrying. And mm -hmm. even when you do that, I mean, the more I think about that, Rob, it's an extremely difficult ethic to properly follow. It asks everything. I mean... Exactly right. Exactly right. It does. It does. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's... that's, that's you, you know, I'm thinking um, you brought to mind the book of Ecclesiastes because that's what the, the that's an Old Testament book. It's a book of sort of uh, wisdom literature. And and it's about, you know, historically, it's been credited to to Solomon. Who, you know, he was a king who had everything by worldly standards. I mean, he had, you know, money and wealth and enough women to keep him busy all the time and there's nothing he could have ever wanted and yet he finds himself unsatisfied and he looks to all these things in the world and he comes back he comes to the the final conclusion is you know under the sun there's nothing mean there's nothing of, of meaning but it's you know the implication being when you know when you look beyond the the material world as it were okay then in your relationship with god and so on now we don't yet see that at least I don't think in Western culture. I mean, I think, I think in fact, if anything, the pendulum is going 
you know, we're still swinging away where people are rejecting religion and rejecting the church and, and Christianity because, like you said, it it asks everything of you. You, you. you couldn't have said that any better. It demands everything. And, you know, at least in, in American culture especially, we value um, we value self-rule uh, or autonomy. I want to be in charge of my life. And if I can fit religion in maybe a little bit, I, that's fine, but I'm still going to be the one to run the show. And Christianity, you know, in its most, I think, proper understanding says, well, it doesn't work like that. You know, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You don't get to set the agenda. You aren't your own boss any longer. And that's hard for many people to accept. Yeah, yeah, no, because, I mean, you definitely, uh, in, in the current zeitgeist, see a lot of railing against what people call late-stage capitalism. Mm-hmm. And that we're mm-hmm. kind of we're in a right. state where the system, the system can't, the center cannot hold, as Yates would say. Uh, yeah, things yeah, things yeah, start to yeah. fall apart. But then you don't see it, it swing to the other radical of, well, therefore we must, from focusing on the wealth, we must focus on the face of the other. You don't see that happening. You see a sort of, we must focus on, instead of capitalism, we must focus on some sort of communism or radical equality and radical freedom to be whatever right. you want to be. But that, right. that walking two miles instead of one mile with the other, you don't hear in it. You you only hear some sort of, as far as I can tell, clamoring for for revolution. And now I, I won't say ah. Jesus did, didn't want a revolution, but he, he kind of went it a different way, as far as I can tell. Exactly right. That That's exactly right. I mean, you know, the, the, you're, you describe, I think, American culture pretty well. I mean, we're, we're at a place where we seem to swing from one extreme to the other, and the extremes only get further and further apart. So, you know, we go from, you know, the conservatism of, of the Bush era to, you know, the more liberal, well, the liberalism of, of the Obama time, and now we're further even more, hard, and it just keeps going back and forth. And every time, that's what people call for is, you know, is, is sort of, you know, a, a revolt or revolution or sort of the, the people to take back their government and, you know, make America great again. And we have all these slogans for it. And what it comes down to is we're putting our hope in an ideology. And we're, we're assuming that our ideology um, can save us. And, and there's a lot of nuance to that, I realize. But um, mm. you know, when you look at when you look at Jesus, in fact, when you look through the whole New Testament, you don't ever see a call to focus on the the challenges of of say overthrowing the roman uh yeah the roman um government or you know let's take up arms it was a very it was a very grassroots thing that worked its way in the structures of society so you get people who are transformed by the gospel and they don't quit their jobs to become full-time pastors most of them they don't um take up arms or take up political action to try to overthrow the Roman government, they simply get into their, you know, whatever daily, um, you know, activity they're called to do, and they do it in a whole different way. And somehow that has a, you know, I think Jesus, would that's what Jesus would mean when he talks about being like yeast or, or leaven, you know, it has a leavening effect in, in, in the culture, mm. but it's not an overthrowing. It's not a revolt. It's, it's an internal sort of experience well and then and i can draw a parallel to what i read in the insanity of god again here's this very complex situation of a civil war ravaging our country and how are we going to fix it will airdrop loads of food well but partially you're making it worse because now there's looting and there's more death and oh, oh yeah we couldn't oversee this right what what does happen is people go in there and they talk to people and help people directly and that's not the same as sending soldiers because yeah, that's, that's still right. sort of removed by this other context of what it is to be a soldier. Uh, so what, what instead happens is relief groups are people who, who 
sacrifice safety in order to help the other people directly. Still difficult, but seemingly more effective than mass dropping. We'll just solve the problem by massively allocating resources, material resources. And that, that just reminds me of uh, what I see online. We'll fix the problem by massively equalizing. You have no idea yeah, how worse right. it will get. That's right. Well, right. And so, so there, there's the appeal to Jordan Peterson, right, who's pushing back against these sort of ridiculous humanistic approaches to, you know, we just need everybody to be equal. And, and you know, I think he's sort of, in some ways, the appeal to him is, and the draw to him is that he's sort of like the, the guy that says the emperor has no clothes on him. He doesn't everybody see how ridiculous this is, is, is kind of what he's saying. And all, you know, all of a sudden, when people hear that, it's like, yes, finally, someone can speak up and, and articulate that sense that I've been feeling, but maybe could never put it into words. Hmm. Well, Rob, uh, just as we're getting into Peterson, we are already a bit over time. So I, <laughs> I much enjoyed talking with you. Yes, likewise, Job. Thank you very much. This was uh, this was a really enjoyable conversation, and uh, we'll maybe have to do it again sometime. And uh, maybe I'll have to have you onto my channel at some point, and we'll do a conversation that way. Oh, that sounds great. All right, Rob, thanks okay. again, and have a uh, great rest of your day. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, and you have a good night in uh, in Holland, and we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.